Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Welcome to the new season, season eight. Yes, this is the first episode of our season. It's funny, so obviously we've been prepping some interviews and everything, so it's not our first recording of the season, but this is the first time you're hearing us this season, listeners. And it's (laughs) lovely to be back. And before we dive into some recommendations, something that we both did separately but sort of together in the previous few weeks before we started airing this was that we both separately went to see just the gist live Caitlin went in Sydney I went in Brisbane yeah it was amazing and I feel like we just need to shout out how wonderful just the gist was um if you see any of their live shows for sale we actually have a um a little bit of a plan to maybe see them together again Yes. Um, I don't want to tempt fate. I know. Let's not like promise anything, but maybe seeing them again. But yeah, it was so fun. I love their their like live show format and that for this tour that they've got this extra, a few extra things they do for people who are actually there because all the podcasts are still recorded and it is, I think it's very something that I would want to make you do, like theoretically, <laughs> if we were, you know, willing and able to If we were ever big to enough to this live <laughs> We were willing and able to tour this podcast and it was like a book club and we played different games or however our like live show would work. Ridiculous. But I'd want a dance number. That sounds fun. <laughs> I would also be. We would up have for to. Oh my god! Summer. Okay, so we would have to like open the show with anything goes because that's like, the <laughs> lyric that this came that from. On. Better words. Oh my god! And I can have a tap solo. Amazing! Oh, this is perfect! <laughs> oh my god! My tap shoes are primed and ready. Look, writers' festivals around the country. If you're Give listening. <laughs> What do you mean if? Of course they're listening. Um, <laughs> give us a call. We'd love to break out the uh, break out the tap shoes. I do love um, we'll learn tap. I follow follow Rosie and Jacob on Instagram, of course, mm. and I do just have to say I'm just in love with them. Um, and their little dance number was so good. And they even had like right down to proper jazz shoes. I know. And I just feel like I'm, theater yeah, kid in me. Energy. I feel like you. There's like an extra. Obviously, the dance is fun, but there's an extra level of how they say that they are drama school dropouts and like theater kids and like all these things. And I was just like, yes, there were leotards. Yes, there are costumes. Yes, there are shimmer tights. But the actual jazz shoes is like. I feel like mm-hmm. you don't understand unless you're there you yeah. know anyway yeah and like I've never had a pair of jazz shoes me but either look, I've I, had character shoes because I didn't do <laughs> yeah I didn't do jazz I did ballet um and tap obviously I've still got tap shoes um still spray painted pink from when we danced footloose and this year we're doing uptown funk so pray for my feet please oh my god that um, sounds so fun okay this is the most, so fast yeah it does okay. sound fast this is the most right. chaotic start to a podcast we may have ever had and that's saying something but, Welcome. <laughs> welcome back. And if you're new, welcome. Welcome to, to this chaotic circus. Um, <laughs> so recommendations. Do you want to kick us off for the new season? I might as well kick us off. And this, I think this recommendation is perfectly in line with everything that any listener will have just learned about me because my recommendation is Camp by L.C. Rosen. And I borrowed this one from the library and it was so fun to dive into a YA rom-com. And so Camp follows, I was going to say Des. So it follows Randy slash Del, not Des. I'm mixing up his names because Randy, Randall, has gone to camp the same camp every, like for a couple of years. And it's a queer only camp 
and he has been crushing on this boy Hudson for a few years but Hudson only doesn't date like more pretty boys he dates like the masculine looking guys and so (laughs) over like for the next summer to prepare Randy um has like bulked up and he got a haircut and he's like come as more masculine presenting and told everyone to call him Dell so that and Hudson thinks is a completely different person so it's a real catfish situation oh oh (laughs) and it's so it's so fun and so normally like Randy does the musical at camp every year um and all of his friends do and everything and Hudson is more in the crowd that does a lot of the outdoor adventuring activities you know it's camp there's like high ropes courses and hikes and overnight trips and canoeing and like give me the theater I reckon I was reading it and I'm like I feel you you know Randy I want to be in the drama (laughs) cabin as well I want to be in the spotlight yeah and so (laughs) he doesn't sign up for any of his regular activities he is getting all of his friends to call him a different name it's everyone is like what are all his friends like what the hell everyone is like what are you doing this is really strange the counselors are like all mildly concerned and being like has something happened do you like you know because it's no it's just for a boy yeah and he's and he's very (laughs) specific about him like playing a part and he's determined that like he's just the same it's just to get Hudson's attention and then they'll like really fall in love and everything oh this stuff never goes it never goes well and so the whole time like it's very funny and fun and you just like all the activities and the whole time obviously you're just waiting for it to blow up in his face and you're like when is everyone gonna find out and then as like that stuff obviously inevitably happens it is actually all handled really well and has still has a really nice ending and like it different things about obviously being safe in different communities and everything for queer kids is is discussed really well and so that's really really lovely to read but the whole novel is so much fun and the background characters are excellent as well like Randy's friend and Hudson's friend get together and they're so cute and um one of the other friends she's um asexual so that like there's so much great representation obviously it's queer only camp um I love that I I love that there's an asexual character as well yeah and so there's heaps of representation there's and it's like all the like American summer camp things that you want as well it's like I you read it and you're like why don't we have this here like I want to go to camp and so I guess it's like this is like the fairy trap cross with camp rock because there's like the switcheroo and like the lying and everything but it's like that musical camp (laughs) yeah that sounds really fun though it was really fun and so yeah camp a queer YA rom-com that is actually so much more than a change yourself for a boy like catfish narrative. So I also have quite a well this is quite a fun one it's actually very similar to Freckles by Cecilia Rohan. I'm intrigued. Yes we we did feature Cecilia on an episode last year. Go back and listen if you haven't. Um, but it reminds me a lot of Freckles in the way that the main character or main characters, because it switches perspective between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. um, the way they sort of feel a bit like misfits, don't really fit in. So it's called The Handover by David M. Barnett. And this was another random picked up at the library because the cover looked good thing. And I loved it. it yes, amazing. same. So the cover of camp <laughs> is like an embroidered patch, you know, like a scout's looking patch or something that has two boys holding hands outside of a cabin. Um, and it's like stark green. It looks so cute. So what's the cover of this one look like that you that caught um, your eye? 
Well, it's like a hot pink, but I think the spine was yellow. And then on the front is like line drawings of what I presume is the Manchester Museum of Social History because that's where this is set. And there's like one line drawing one way with like a yellow circle, which is the sun. And then underneath the yellow title saying the handover is the opposite sort of the opposite view of the museum but with like the lights on and a moon and that is because that is because Daisy is the night security guard at the museum and she's very much like freckles in that she takes her job super seriously she did want to be in the police she's like super serious about taking notes of everything and yeah nothing like gets by her on her shift Exactly. And she expects the other guards to do the same. So she hands over to Nate, who works the day shift. Um, but he's a sort of person who's there and he like loves having a chat with everyone who comes in and he makes up stories about the dinosaur, that skeleton that they have on display. And, you know, they really only see each other for that five minute handover, hence the name. Yeah. And it swaps between their perspective and we start to learn more and more about their lives. And of course, you can probably guess where this is going. They learn more about each other and realize that each other is not as they had presumed at first. And they, there is, there's like a little mini mystery in it as well. A little bit like with freckles where she's looking for her mom, Mm. there is some stuff going missing from the museum. So um, Nate and Daisy, sort of decide to team up a little bit um, and try and, and solve that little mystery. But in doing so, of course, as is so often the way with these books, but I love it, end up sort of saving each other and, and solving some of their own internal issues. I loved both Daisy and Nate. Like I loved learning more about them. So Nate's a single dad and, you know, he's sort of dealing with his um, ex you know starting to see someone seriously for the first time and and his son really liking this new guy and him being a bit like jealous of that and worried that his son won't love him or think he's cool or anything and Daisy is dealing with the fact that her mum is elderly and needs more care than her and her sisters can offer but it's a very difficult situation to be in they don't want to put her in a home but they're really worried about her so yeah they sort of unite and their relationship develops and they both learn a lot about each other and grow along the way and it's just the sort of it's the sort of novel you and I love like characters I cannot wait to read this I always I'm you are gonna love to it grab my phone before so I can look it up the library I really yes think I'm gonna like this one I want to yeah it. it's it's so wonderful it's like 10 times better when you're like oh I randomly picked this book up no one told me about it and I just found it and it's brilliant it's so so nice when a book is better than you're expecting (laughs) you are gonna love it and I want you to read it soon I'll report back everyone (laughs) (laughs) both our books are quite uplifting and fun this week yes as is the book we're about to discuss with our very first guest of season eight Our guest today has worked in bookselling and publishing since 2008. Her work has appeared in Kidspot, The Sunday Telegraph and Wim, Now Body and Soul. She co-hosts the rom-com podcast Meet Cute and is a crossword expert, which is a title that I have given her. We're here to talk about her debut novel, Love and Other Puzzles. Welcome to The Better Words, Kimberly Allsop. Thank you so much, Caitlin and Michelle. Thank you for having me and please... Don't hold me to being called a crossword expert. I, I do a crossword. Uh, I've gotten better with it over the many years I've been doing it, but I'm certainly not an expert in them. Well, <laughs> I think given how much crosswords are a part of the plot of the book, which we will get to, I don't know. I feel like you must be pretty close. I know lots of other people who write crosswords for a living, for example, are probably more of a crossword expert but I'm very impressed <laughs> because I'm horrible I'm shit at crosswords <laughs> yeah I find it so hard if you practiced you would be good at them and the thing is is that every different publication has a different kind of style of crossword so I really like the New York Times crossword puzzle which is obviously the one that's featured 
in the book and you kind of get used to their style and some of the shorter four-letter words they might use, like apps for like a church recess, like words I would never have known beforehand. Even existed. (laughs) Exactly, until I started doing it. And also with the New York Times one, it gets harder as the week progresses. So if you foolishly start on like a Saturday, you are doing the hardest day. Sunday is more fun and it's bigger and it tends to have like a better theme across. But Monday is your easy one. Monday is the gateway crossword Ah. into New York Times if you want to go down that path. But I couldn't do like a cryptic crossword to save my life. Oh, yeah. Before we we get into the book, okay, while we're on the topic of this, Wordle, a fan or not, I was thinking this as I was reading it. I was like, what would Rory make of Wordle? What if Wordle decided your actions for the week, which is ding, ding, essentially ding, the, the plot of the book? Yeah, like <laughs> it's essentially the plot of the book. And then that particular day, one of the words in Wordle, the Wordle for the day, was cork. And everyone was like, oh my God, I don't know what this is. But I live in a house with old tongue and groove walls that I have been filling in gaps and I was like maybe this is Wordle telling me to fill more gaps in my wall aka cork more of the gaps that in is my wall. so funny because with that word like once I got it and I was like oh is that like I knew what the word was but I just didn't know it was spelled that way <laughs> I was yeah. like you know my dad's a plumber we watched the block as a family every year so I knew what it was but I just assumed it was spelled the same as a wine cork so, Kimberly, what do you think of Wordle? Oh, no. Well, I would also presume that you two would be quite good at Wordle because I think if you read a lot, you're naturally going to know and that can kind of factor into crossword stuff as well. If you have H as a second letter there, you know there's only a few letters that can go before that in order for it to make a word. And that's all like in our deep recesses, you know, our hopes, our fears, any little kinks in there and then the grammar is supposed to look (laughs) and that's there. So yeah, look, I do wordle. I do wordle. Um, (laughs) I'm not strict about it. Um, So for a while I had a really great streak because I was doing it every day, but I just forget to do it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I was feeling bad about that, but I just feel bad about so many things that I don't do and I can't be adding that onto it. But I, I enjoy it while I do it. I can't see, I can see Rory doing it, but she has her own rules around the crossword and she can kind of pull out answers that are appropriate to the situation she's in. Whereas with Wordle, what is she going to do? What she has no grooves. How is she going to spackle things? I don't know. (laughs) That might be harder to do. Yeah, not everything would apply. Like one word from the week instead of three answers from the daily crossword. Maybe it's like one word of the week that speaks to her. My mum and I send our scores to each other every day. And now we've got like a group of friends that we're called Wordle Wizards that we do every day oh wow I'm not that into this <laughs> and and that's fine I have I have um two friends that we because when you have the New York Times crossword app there's the dailies which are the larger ones and then there's a mini each day which you get even if you've got a free version whereas I pay because I'm that kind of a person I and must say I tried the free one after reading this book there we go. I should be getting some kind of commission for Australian subscription. I did a free trial of the thing as well and tried to do that week's worth of crosswords. And I think I did get better at it as the week went on. But I also had the auto check thing turned on. So I was like, it was telling oh, me if I was wrong. Hey, so that was, I know. That's cheating. What I are know you that doing? you would know was cheating. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I, have a, I have a group of friends where we do the mini. And then that was becoming quite competitive. And so I was like, I just can't hold myself to the mini all the time. Like I would, if anyone, I'd have to be in the right situation because you've got to get the time and I like to be under 20 seconds. And it's just, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And I won't do that with Wordle. 
I can't do it. <laughs> I can't live my way. <laughs> Wordle's just fun, but I think I think the community aspect and the idea that you keep it secret and that everyone's playing the same word, like there's something I so, find that so cute, wonderful. Like that's what's cute about it is that like my mom and I, you know, and you can sort of see like, oh wow, they got. And if you know that, you know, I've put in scores before and been like, oh my god, started on a random word today, and it just like was super lucky that you know, that's why I got it in three because I started on random. And like, I do love that sometimes like the, the sort of serendipity of like putting in a really random first word and it gives you like three letters that you need. And you're like, I know it. I know it. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Anyway, let's, we've alluded to the fact that crosswords play a huge part in the book. Can you describe to us what love and other puzzles is about? Oh, me. I mean, I feel like Caitlin could do that for me. (laughs) (laughs) Love and Other Puzzles is about Rory. Uh, She is living in Sydney and she moved to Sydney for a job from Brisbane, something I know something about and something Caitlin I know from Queensland knows something about as well. And um, she's very organized. She has a laminated list of goals and everything she wants to be. She's in this relationship. She lives with her boyfriend. And she is working in a job that she knows that she should love and she's always wanted to do. And she's fine at it, but everything is, nothing is kind of progressing on that list. And she's, I guess, starting to get a bit sick of not achieving things. And she's not really changing anything to do that. And as a fan of rom-coms where there tends to be something that turns everything on the head, she realises she can use her own agency to do that by relying on the New York Times crossword puzzle um, to kind of guide her for a week and see how that pans out. And then shenanigans. (laughs) Yeah, lots of shenanigans and unexpected things happen. Yes, I mean, otherwise it would be an incredibly boring. Yeah, I mean, this has to happen in rom-coms, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> um, so where did this idea spark from? Well, I was doing the crossword, <laughs> which won't surprise anyone who's listened to the first seven minutes of this podcast. And I was trying to work out whether or not I was going to buy Curtis Sittenfeld's Rodham, which was about to come out immediately, or just wait a little bit, cool my jets. And then I was doing the crossword and Rodham was one of the answers. And so I thought, that does it. This is how I will be guided. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if someone based important life decisions on the answers to the New York Times crossword puzzle? And I realized that if anyone else wrote that book, I would be really shitty about it. (laughs) And so I better do it myself. So I banged out the first bit which is Rory going out a window and if you've read the book you will know there are plenty of window escapes I mean I think haven't we all escaped through a window once or twice I and I mean literally not metaphorically and (laughs) so I banged that out and I sent it to a colleague because I work in publishing and she was like this is very good you have to keep writing this and so that is what I did yeah, I love that as the start of the book, though, because that scene takes place and you know that some some big life changes are happening. Like, I can, I guess I can say it because it's the first chapter, but she's breaking up with someone and then you jump back to the week before and the whole time, I like, I love that as a format because I'm just like... See how she got there. Oh, wow, what happened? And, like, you sort of know stuff's coming, but it's so good because you're really hooked then. You're like, how does this unfold? How does this happen? I need to know. And it was so addictive and lovely to read in that way as well. And I think Rory is, she's a lovely character to spend time with, even though she has her quite annoying faults. (laughs) And some of the decisions she makes, you just want to scream at. But she's a lovely person to spend time with. Um, so I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it. And it's definitely, I'm so glad that Caitlin's been talking about this book for so long. So I'm glad that we finally did. I know. Well, I knew it was <laughs> we coming. Did. So I have a bit of that sometimes, um, where like, I think before even our last season had, had started, um, I was like, oh, but for next year, we've got to have Kimberly on. <laughs> 
So before we talk a bit more about, um, because obviously we have to ask you about the publishing journey, we love that. I just want to talk more about the crossword part because <laughs> there is a crossword at the end of the book, which we don't have to talk about like in a lot of detail because it's very plot related. Um, but I was just glad that for idiots like me, all the answers were filled in. <laughs> and I want, I just wondered, did you write that crossword? How did you write I did create that crossword um, because obviously it's quite specific to the plot and um, and that was harder than what I thought it would be. For some reason, I thought that that would be quite easy, but it's not. Also because you like a crossword to look a certain way. So I think it was fine, like maybe the ones that we might do in like primary school, which only has like seven words crossing and you can kind of be up and down like Tetris and it doesn't look pleasing to the eye in a crossword sense that's how I found out more stuff about crosswords as well because traditionally a lot of crosswords if you fold them over they should kind of all the blocks should match up so they should be symmetrical and a perfect square no matter how big your grid is in order for that to happen this crossword is not that because I have I have a life (laughs) and I need to do other things and I can't be doing that um but yeah so I came up with that and it is filled in I would have been happy if it was also not filled in which I understand for anyone that reads the book electronically that would be quite difficult and if you were getting it out from a library or something but I like filling out crosswords so I feel like that would be a nice thing to be able to do as well and I got to make up the clues and making up clues is very fun so I can't remember whether they're sitting in the back of the book with the rom-com list or they're sitting right near it, but that was probably the fu- the funnest bit about it. But try and make your own crossword. I just couldn't sound nerdier if I tried. It is, <laughs> it is not an easy thing to do. Or maybe you will be great at it and then you can make me a crossword and I can add it to my crossword. I highly doubt it. No, I, I don't think I so. I do not think I would be great at it. But I was, I really liked that there was an actual crossword in the book. And obviously, it was, while it was harder than you thought, it was obviously fun to do and write the clues. But having it as an actual crossword rather than, I don't know, just talking about the clues in dialogue or something with that part of that scene. Why, like, I mean, because it's kind of a visual thing. You Like, they hold up the crossword why did you actually want a real crossword not just like it in the dialogue talking about the answers or the clues or I'm not a huge fan of spelling everything out which obviously is quite ironic when talking about filling out a crossword because that's what you do but I I read a lot and I don't like it when everything is spoon-fed to me all the time and I can't use any of my imagination or anything to get there and so in an ideal world I would like to not treat people (laughs) like that as well I just I think it's kind of funner to see it's hard without doing any spoilers but how one person would jump to that conclusion based on that crossword and having that as kind of a reveal because you don't know what's going to happen and this is quite very far into the book you don't know what's going to happen you don't know what appointment is being made and you you still yeah you don't know how those ends are going to be tied up yet and that's a a big part of that so why not have lots of fun with it I just hope that most things about this book should be fun it was fun to write and I think if you're reading a rom-com and that's not fun then something's gone wrong yeah exactly I mean yes absolutely and I don't think I've seen a single review about this book where someone didn't say it's so much fun to read that seems like a very common phrase so I think mission accomplished everyone's well that's very nice I see a lot because people are very lovely and they tag me in Instagram stuff but I also presume that people would have the decency not to tag me in ones where they're talking shit about it. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I'm in like an echo I mean, you would hope so. I don't yeah, know. I think that's perfectly fine when it comes to reviews. But I think the interesting thing about the book as well is, and I think I said this to Caitlin, is because I hear rom-com and I have a particular sort of 
expectation in my mind. And about halfway through, I think I texted Caitlin and was like, like, I wasn't expecting it to be this deep. And like, that's no offense to you, Kimberly, but I just had an expectation of like, you know, more shenanigans than, yeah, like heavy, heavy shenanigans light on the introspection, but it's, it is quite um, a thoughtful book as well. And like so clever and witty within that it's got this real depth to it which I absolutely loved and there's me fawning over your work um but I I I wanted to to mention and and talk about like one of my pet peeves in books and and you guys probably find this when it comes to things about publishing I have pet peeves around the representation of journalists and working in the media and I was so relieved that I loved yours (laughs) it was yeah, no, it was it was like quite accurate, I think, to a lot of things that happen and a lot of conversations that happen. It was there was definitely a few things, but I found it so interesting that that sort of dynamic and I think you represented that really well. So I just wanted to say that. But also like do you have any experience as like what why did you want to make her a journalist? Well, I just want to say firstly, thank you. Uh, That's very nice of you to say that it was a little bit of that was ringing true because (laughs) I am aware, like, I don't even, I've never even worked in magazines, but watching the bold type, I'm like, honestly, this is not like, this cannot be. And obviously working in publishing and I love younger, like I watched all of that, even when the wheels started falling off that bus when it was going through. And but just I was like, this is not publishing. If any anyone is watching that show and thinking I want to get into publishing, they're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> when like they come yeah. when that happens. No, and it's fine because I think when you're watching a show like that, or if you're um, you know reading or watching a rom com as well, you've got to suspend your disbelief like a little bit um, because you know when you're going into a rom com that there's probably going to be a happy ending like, and you're going to hit certain tropes. And I think you have to do that in order for it to still be like a comforting, like balm for your brain. And I would be disappointed if I watched a rom-com and everyone got killed at the end. And I love murders, <laughs> but I would be like disappointed. But it's like, that's not what, what I'm signing up story. for when I start kind of doing that. I think, you can play around with the genre, but you've still got to be like hitting the beats that you need to hit in it, which is kind of what I hoped I had done with Love and Other Puzzles. I was like, I don't want anyone that just likes rom-coms just straight down the line to read it and feel like they've been ripped off. But at the same time, the voice and the humour and... um very strong female characters and it not just being about, you know, a a cis relationship coming together over the pages was pretty important to me with it. Yeah, I mean, the relationship also almost felt like we knew that there was going to be something big with a relationship, but it really didn't feel as much of a major detail for me as the career confusion like that that probably stood out to me more yeah rather than it wasn't solely about yeah. I gotta get the guy like it it was it was more complex than that and I loved that um let's just briefly talk though about rom-coms like obviously you love them um why do you love rom-coms what is it about them that just makes your heart sing uh, I, w- I would say a lot of it would just be how comforting I find them. I would Not all rom-coms are created equally and so they don't all deserve accolades by any means. Um, but, and I think Rory says this in the book, but most of them have like a perfect moment in there. So even if you just like, what the hell has happened? Why is that person in space now? She would never be with that guy. What's going on? There's like one scene normally that kind of saves it from you um, just swearing off them for the rest of your life. So I like how comforting they are. I like Rory, kind of grew up on them. My mum is big on rom-coms and we would watch like 
classic movies like Singing in the Rain, which could be a rom-com. Like it's it's a pretty broad, broad genre to put things under every Friday night. And I loved all that stuff. And I think then just, you know, you watch a couple of good ones and you're hooked. Like You've Got Mail is probably one of my favorite movies ever. I love it. Anything Nora Ephron does, I love. Um, just because they're smart and I like to laugh and I also like watching attractive people do things and uh, seeing unrealistic, especially New York, if, if that would be my favourite rom-com city, yeah. apartments and they're always doing some kind of a creative job and there's, you know, always, someone's got doubt at some point and they kind of come out the other side of it. So that element of hope is very nice too but you, look I also really love horror movies completely different and there's no hope in them <laughs> so, like... yeah. but again when we've <laughs> talked about this with Danielle Binks as well there is a comfort in watching a horror movie and knowing how things will play out as well and that as you say with rom-coms there will be certain tropes and there will be certain things that will be hit in order for that to be a classic slasher movie or a classic like psychological thriller like knowing it will work out in the end or maybe knowing it won't for like a horror movie or something is comforting yeah you you watch a couple and you know how it's going to kind of work out like you can you can pick the killer and stuff like that but then like my favorite horror movie franchise or my favorite kind of film franchise ever is scream like i love those movies i used to have a screen day every year once again i'm a super (laughs) cool person and I had the masks and knives and I had set myself up from like midday with a carton of beer and then just worked my way through the movies and I'm very excited that the new screen has come out. And then I had a child and that's just not appropriate behaviour to show in front of. marathon. small child. Um, anyway, but you're still hitting everything in that first one, but it's a different take on it. There's a bit of twist. That was like one of the first meta ones and that really appealed to me, having that, it being meta and also having that sense of humour in there as well and that's what made it stand out to me. So maybe that's also why I've made Love and Other Puzzles a little bit meta as well and I've just connected those dots. So there we go. Who would have thought Scream and Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson would somehow inspire an Australian rock film? (laughs) So... The book is completely littered with rom-com references. You mentioned so many movies that there's a list in the back um, for anyone to double check. And like all the big hitters, all the big ones and some that I hadn't heard of before. At some points where you're just thinking, okay, how do I work a Love Actually reference into the book? um, very depressing, Caitlin, but those things are just naturally in my head and then that's just how they come out <laughs> on the page. There was no, um, I've got to get one in here, I've got a quota each day, I've got to be working this many in. It's just my brain is just... It wasn't any that you wanted to mention that you thought, I've got to make sure I mention it somewhere. No, or... my brain is just a sponge for useless pop culture information. And you know, anyone that <laughs> listens to the podcast will realize that it, all that stuff just tumbles out. There's no grace to it. I mean, I guess that's what an editor does afterwards. They go, ah. um, and there were quite a few in earlier drafts where there weren't kind of hints to what movie so I guess they were, they're more like, I guess, like Easter eggy things. And um, one of the editors was like, can we just make this a little bit more obvious? And I was like, no, <laughs> I cannot. Like I, I know I, I love reading Stephen King books and I love it when he references another book without being overt by it and another character series. And those kind of things I think are payoffs to fans and I'm not on my 60th book or however many Stephen King has written. I mean, I've read them all, but I am certainly not there yet. So I feel like it's nice to have those rom-com ones, other people's great work being referenced by me in that. But yes, unfortunately just comes out naturally, Caitlin. (laughs) Well, I will expect to lots of Easter eggs by the time you're at your 60th book. I'll be going back to Rory. (laughs) I know to expect this in your future books. (laughs) That just the idea of that makes me want to breathe into a paper bag. I am (laughs) writing the second second book now and it's, um, yeah, stressful. Fun, 
stressful. I mean, yeah. Stephen King only writes books, though. Like, he writes very good books, so I don't mean only in, like, a throwaway comment. <laughs> but I, he doesn't have, like, a full-time job. But, like, he, he doesn't, doesn't have another job. He doesn't job. have other things necessarily going on, old Steve. So he's got the time to do that. As you said, Stephen King does not have another job. You have another job. And while you are not the first person we've interviewed who's published and works in publishing, I think you're the first person whose book was published by the publisher that they work at. I thought you were going to say, I am the most attractive person you've had on that works in publishing that has now had the book come out. But fine, I'll take your answer. Also correct. I mean, also that. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously for anyone who maybe hasn't put this together yet, it's also the publisher that I work at. So can you tell us a bit about how Love and Other Puzzles ended up being published by HarperCollins? Yeah, so it wasn't intentional that... I am at HarperCollins as a writer as well as a campaign manager. Um, I have an agent, the wonderful Margaret Connolly, and I already had her before I'd written Love and Other Puzzles because I had written a children's picture book and um, contacted her about that and she liked that. And then I said I am also interested in commercial fiction. And I had written another book before, but I don't think it was – terribly good and I hadn't plotted that one out at all and I kind of I'd done it like a serial so every week I would drop like two bits and send it to pals and that was kind of a rom-com as well but because I hadn't plotted it out and then I was about to give birth I just kind of like really the ending completely went off Margaret had said she liked it and she thought that you know the voice and everything was good but that ending was wackadoo and but I should try again. And then when Love and Other Puzzles came, it was there. So I, I had that. And then she was very nice about it. Thank you, Margaret. She's a very nice person. And she contacted some other publishers as well, but with my name not attached. Because I didn't want anyone who knew me to kind of be muddled about how they felt about the book or anything like that. And, you know, I've been in publishing for over 10 years now, which is incredibly depressing. And I've met a lot of people. And so there were high chances that it would be going to someone that knew me or knew of me. So Catherine, who is my publisher, uh, did know that it was me. But when she sent it to the acquisitions meeting, which is our weekly meeting where books are brought and the sales team weighs in and the Marcoms team weighs in, uh, weighs in, uh, is there as well uh, and weighs in on that. And our CEO, everyone's there and that's when they kind of work out numbers after they've had a read and everything. So none of those people knew in that meeting it had gone under a name that um, Catherine had made up, which was a very sensible name. I can't remember what it was. I would have made something a lot crazier. Um, they knew it was someone that was – in the industry, but they didn't know um, that it was me. But they were told once everyone had agreed. So I did. I did meet with some other publishers, and everyone was very lovely, and it was really great to get that feedback from people as well. But I just it was an instance where I love Catherine so much as a colleague and as a friend, and I just thought she was an incredibly safe and able pair of hands for this book to be in because she is the best and we are obviously the best team in the biz as well so I knew whoever the campaign manager was I could bully them into whatever I wanted uh jokes jokes Tom but (laughs) and obviously I think our sales team so I think everyone at Harper is amazing I tried to name as many people as I could in the back of the book Um, because I know so often so many amazing people that do a lot of hard work don't get that opportunity for people. So I thought it would be very remiss of someone who has seen all that work happen not to do that. So it's good. And then it's also not the easiest thing because I can see stuff when it comes through. I jump out of meetings when I know the book is going to be spoken about and then someone has to tell me. Yeah, as we go through our list for the month, 
Kimberly talks on one that she's working on and then we say, oh, can you just leave for five seconds and we'll talk about Love and Other Puzzles and then we say you can come <laughs> back now. It's all very um, strange, so it must have been weird for you. To yeah, I mean, it much. suits me because I'm mortified. Uh, I don't want to hear it, no. And and I just kind of <laughs> stick my fingers in my ear and kind of do a la-la-la thing until I can see on the slides it's moved over. Now that we're going back in person, it's really going to be harder for me just to walk out and leave a room and for that <laughs> not to be very weird for everyone. Yeah, I mean, Harper is a great thing. I feel like that should still be allowed. I mean, Dan Tootin, I'm an author as well, so everyone has to be nice to me. Um... Exactly. <laughs> I'll stand up. And say, excuse me, Kimberly gets to leave. I can just put my earphones in uh, or just not go to the meeting. I'm a huge fan of not going to meetings. But, yeah, (laughs) so it's it's really lovely, but it's also I I wouldn't mind not knowing how the sausage is made. Like I was very aware when we were going through the editorial process and the deadlines, I was like, but we need to have reading copies out and this is not going to be in, done in time for that and I know our critical path and I was like, I wish I didn't know any of that stuff. A bit too much information on the other side. Yes, I, knew, I just know what are important things for us to hit and I know the dates and I know how long it takes for something to come back from the printers and, and design and, and everything else. But then I, I think I've also been... I'm just going to say lucky and not blessed because I I don't want to sound like a wanker. Um, That (laughs) I think because I, you know, my first, my entry level like role into Harper was on the sales team. So I worked with a lot of our reps for a very long time and, you know, continue working with them now, but not as much as I did then. And the support has been lovely and overwhelming and that has been a really nice thing I guess just having that kind of personal touch but uh on on publication day Kayla will know because she is the one that organized it they in our in our daily huddle where all our Marcoms team gets together really just to um complain for 15 minutes every morning um that is the main purpose of she's done yes. backgrounds up with the cover and congratulations and one of our other colleagues popped in who's who's not working at Harper anymore and I was like, you assholes are going to make me cry. I fucking hate you all. It was the <laughs> nicest, nicest thing in the world. And I thought, I'm very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's it's. I think it's a lot more fun for everyone else in the company as well when you get to work on a book that the author is so lovely and so nice and that you feel really proud of. So... That is really exciting. But I do also, I know we said, you know, you know a bit too much being on the other side, but was there, I mean, I love, I love asking this question because a lot of people who don't work in this industry have no idea how publishing works, but was there anything at all that maybe surprised you about actually being on the author side rather than on the Marcom side? I I have a new understanding for the kind of anxiety that the authors I work with have, not just because they're working with me and it can be very difficult. No, it's just I'm aware of how exposed you feel when you have spent time creating this. And Love and Other Puzzles for me was kind of, I'm very bad with time, um, but probably like a, a year going through stuff and, you know, 4 a.m. writing because I have a job and a child and everything. I can't imagine what that's like when you have been working on something for 10 years and you have sacrificed so much. And I understand that that level of sacrifice now, whereas I felt like I had empathy for it before and I could understand, um, but I didn't truly know how anxious. I guess it. I guess it is hard to truly know until you go through it yourself. So yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. It's terrifying. And I didn't I didn't care for that. I still don't care for that. Um I I mean I have like mild panics when I for for context for everybody, I came to this interview like straight out of work on a story I've been working on all day and because it was quite a rush in the afternoon, just as I was leaving, I had to get a colleague to finish something off so I could leave the office. And because I haven't had as much time to sit with that article and to look at it obsessively like 16 times and double check, you know, I think I feel more pressure now working for ABC because I know that it's going to be like a state, possibly national audience. (laughs) I do get like a 
much more panicky about stuff. And also I think as well, there's just a lot of prestige that I place on working at the ABC. So I'm like, what if I've mucked something up terribly? Like we were doing a court story and I was just checking a few facts for a colleague and she asked me something and I was like 99% sure that I had the answer but I was like, I'm just going to ring, you know, I'm going to ring the courthouse back and just double check. And I rang that courthouse like five times because I was like, what if I've accidentally put the wrong thing in and it's illegal? And then like, you know, like this is huge. This could be really bad if I get this wrong, you know, like, so I can't imagine how it feels to think that about this whole entire book that, you know, will be at least an online article, like news is always changing, but a, a book is this thing. Yeah. And an online article can be exactly. edited and changed after exactly. it's Exactly. And like, yeah, you could still get in trouble for it, but like it's not in print. And so I, I can only imagine a fraction of the anxiety that you must feel going towards that as the author for the first time as well. That must be so, so scary. It, it's, it's a lot. And also, you know, books aren't cheap and we're asking someone to pay like a decent amount of money and I don't want to be wasting anyone's time um, with that kind of stuff. And there are, like I was saying before, there are so many people that work on just putting like one book out there that you kind of don't want to let down the whole team. Like it's mm. not just me putting hours in. It's um, the editors and I hadn't seen that kind of side of things before because that's never where my um, interest has kind of been within the company and their process and you realise just like how hands-on, like Catherine's structural, there's all this stuff that I hadn't seen before. But then, yeah, even the people on our ops team, like everything takes time. (laughs) It's just Mark Campbell who did the cover. Like I'm just aware of, I just don't want to waste anyone's time with any of that stuff so that's there and then there's also just imposter syndrome being very real and I don't maybe some people get past that I don't like people say nice things and I just presume they're saying that they're either lying or they're kind of doing that to me as a favor even people I don't know so I don't know why they would be doing that to me but I'm just like oh oh you do you come with the car like I just don't I presume that no one genuinely likes it and everyone's just being very nice to me I'm I'm sure everyone listening to this now is just like nodding along in agreement (laughs) with that. A hundred percent feel you on that. Um, I'd love to just briefly chat about the cover because the cover is gorgeous. Um, Also, side note, I had a very similar yellow, like mustard yellow coat when I lived in the UK. Oh my God, you did. It's like like almost the same. I'd not heard that. So I was like, oh, I love that. Um, but I actually sent the article to Caitlin today, but your book was referenced in, um, an article about like cover trends and stuff. I'm just interested, like, you know, having, I want to have this conversation with every author about like, what, what did you think of your cover? Um, but I think it's really particularly interesting as someone in the industry and in that particular publishing house, uh, in the marketing team, like you obviously are part of these discussions for other books you you know are part of the team that works with these know what our design team can do exactly like what did did it live up to what you did you have anything in your head before or were you just like I'm just gonna like let them work their magic look I absolutely trust the design team and uh, Mark Campbell who's the head of the team but he also um, did the cover and I trusted Catherine's vision for it as well. I think maybe the only concern I would have possibly had would be if the cover was too twee. I just don't like super, like, that's, I'm not that kind of person. I, Caitlin could attest to the fact that I'm just not, like, despite having written a rom-com, I'm not a saccharine or, like, romantic. And I just couldn't, <laughs> if it was a woman holding flowers or some crap, like, I just wouldn't have dealt with that. Exactly. Too cutesy. It wouldn't have been yeah, very it wouldn't you. have fitted the book either. Mark was great. It was that I just saw, I was slightly concerned that if I didn't like the cover, that was going to be awkward. Now, that's a good thing about having an agent is that the a- Margaret would have said that, not me. 
but people would have known it was me that had said that. So and then I have to continue working with them. So I'm just very lucky as well that um, they're the best in the biz. And as soon as I saw that cover, I was like, oh, yay, I love it. I have no I have no comments. Yeah, was there some relief it. there of like, oh, thank God, I love it. This is good. Okay, Whew, we can move on. <laughs> yes, and like I have never, other than like Rory kind of being a brunette, like I don't, I haven't pictured her, like I know some authors when they're writing characters and they kind of want inspiration for that they'll pick like a celebrity or an actor or something and put those kind of pictures up and around and I didn't do any of that at all and if someone asked me who would play Rory in a screen I'd say I would have no idea so it just felt like Mark and Catherine had just like seen into the book and put exactly what was there without me even knowing it onto that cover and if they're um I've joked if they had like a plaque in the design room that said like fastest yes fastest response um I would have to get that <laughs> straight away I was like yes love it no problems this is the best thing ever and it also didn't feel like something I'd seen a zillion times before I know that article you're referencing um that the Guardian did obviously Sorrow and Bliss which is another HarperCollins book with a beautiful cover has a similar Thing, but they still feel very different to me. I think the vibe yeah. is there, but the design looks different to me. And it, like I, I'm like, yeah, I get the. I think, and I think what we'll obviously link to the article because it was interesting. Um, but I guess it's getting at the themes of the book. And like the thing is that if I see Sorrow and Bliss and I see Love and Other Puzzles, I do sort of get the vibe that they're on the same wavelength in terms of some of the sort of issue like it's a contemporary like it gives me the same feelings but the design doesn't like look the same to me in that respect if that makes sense it does which is great and Sorrow and Bliss is an amazing book for anyone who hasn't yeah. read that as well and that's not just me with my publicity hat on <laughs> oh they'll know from listening to this podcast from yes. <laughs> and also, also there's like countless bestseller lists <laughs> I know, but that was another one that, like, we had, hang on, we, I wanted that had it so first, early, actually? and I'm sure I set that up with you, Kimberly, so early, and she was on our podcast first, and yes. now she's the first one, so, <laughs> obviously it was all us. Yeah, you know, that's what we were saying when we hit the 50,000 mark, we were like, oh my god, thank god Michelle and Caitlin had her on that oh, podcast. <laughs> Oh, no, we do. We do yeah. love, we love Meg. Absolutely. So you've mentioned a couple of times your own podcast and, you know, we did sort of think it's, it sounds very much like what we do, but with rom-coms instead of books is, is that, how did that come about? Was it just this shared love of rom-coms? And you said you just sort of talk about your favorite things. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, Natika Palka, who I do it with, who also works at HarperCollins, it's nepotism gone wild over there. Um, her and I <laughs> like to talk a lot of shit. Um, and this kind of seemed like a good way for us to be slightly more structured in our shit and also feel like we were achieving something. And it's a lovely excuse to rewatch movies and kind of slot them into our lives forcefully um, and then into I mean, describing, describing every us. reason that a millennial will start a podcast really I think isn't it like this is exactly why we're all starting podcasts makes us feel kind of accomplished because we recorded the conversation that we were having anyway exactly. and we have a very good podcast which is great well um, thank you but it has evolved I wouldn't go back I wouldn't go back to the start if I were you I think a lot would be like that and one of Natika and I's one of my favorite podcasts to listen and it's probably one of the only ones that I can get through in a week because they go sometimes over three hours three and a half hours and so it depends how many times I get to run that That's week long. as to how much I mean I please don't say Joe Rogan <laughs> oh my god who do you think I am <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, no, it's called Blank Check. And oh. they go through um, the blank check refers to when a filmmaker has done, a director's done very well. So they get a blank check and sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce and the movie doesn't work out. And they actually have a great, um, both a Nora Ephron and a Nancy Myers series. So if you're interested in that, 
That is so cool. What other amazing. movies have they done? Yeah. Right now they're doing Jane Campion. Great concept. To um, their American and David Sims writes for The Atlantic. He's their film reviewer. And Griffin Newman, who does it, he is like a, a comedian. He was in like The Tick and and search party and stuff like that. So, and they have like a guest on. And so we really like that. So like most people, I guess we foolishly thought we could do something similar to that. And at the same time I was writing love and other puzzles. So um, rom-coms were very much at the forefront of my mind. And I would say, yeah, doing the podcast has probably helped me formalize in my head a little bit more about that structure and what I love about them and what I don't think works so much, which I might not have picked up on a first viewing. I mean, a lot of them also now are wildly inappropriate for the times that we live in. And, um, oh, yeah. But you know what you were saying before about the perfect moment? I think that is what still saves love, actually, for me, because I watch it and for half of it I'm like, this is age badly, this is awkward, and then there are so many good bits. Yes. And that's what gets me through the movie. Yeah, so. I did try and re-watch um, that. We thankfully didn't pick it. We um, let people pick which Christmas movie we would do in a bonus episode. Um, and we've been recording the second season recently as well, which has been fun. But uh, I didn't put Love Actually in there just because I didn't want to kind of – I didn't want to rewatch it and I wanted to. Well, you don't want to have to talk about all the yeah. bad bits now, and I, I guess in that season, because you'll find a lot of reoccurring characters, and the first one we did was Sense, Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility. And so we talked a lot about, like, Hugh Grant in that and Emma Thompson, and so it's kind of nice to have, once you start, at that time we also didn't have our Google spreadsheet where we worked out stuff. Um, so... It was only as we got further in that I was like, well, we can't do another Nancy Myers in this season and we can't have another Emma Thompson or Meryl Streep. Like there's got to be kind of a break in between those. You realise how often people are in those. Especially now, like in the favourites, but yes. And this was the thing I didn't realise until we started recording them is how much research I was going to end up having to do into each movie. Like I love this stuff. I'm always on IMDb trivia when I'm watching a movie. Yes. I love behind the scenes. And it's great, info. but I would I be it. watching like, uh, so for Bridget Jones, I ended up watching like Hugh Grant do a SAG interview that he was doing um, when he was promoting Florence Foster Jenkins. And that was like an hour and a half of my life watching it for just bits of like color and maybe him having a line about Renee because obviously like they've continued to get along. I don't know why I said obviously, because apparently he doesn't really get along with anyone else, which says a lot about him. And, but why am I still so charmed? Um, and for Clueless, I just coincidentally already had as if the oral history of it. So these are like entire books I'm reading before each episode, like Mike Nichols book and, I mean, Nora Ephron, you know, I feel like I'm always researching her, whether it's just nice to have a reason. Um, but I didn't I didn't realise how much background I wanted. And my mom listens to the podcast. She's ridiculously and annoyingly supportive of most <laughs> things that I do. It's actually kind of off-putting because Antika and I do, we can go down a rabbit hole of what we would like to do to certain characters in a wink-wink sense. And mom had given me feedback that yeah. she would um, prefer us to talk less about how much we would like to have sex with certain people. And if, but she really likes all the background stuff. I'm like, that's just more work. Come on. <laughs> I know. It's much easier to talk for a long time about just exactly. how hot they are. Exactly. So hopefully, when people are listening to it, they're just not like, ah. Oh. Another one, another one. And it, you, you notice, because we've done while you were sleeping yet, but um, we haven't dropped that one either. And uh, I realised I didn't find anyone in it attractive, so I didn't have much to talk about in that one. Thankfully, we had a very good guest, Tom, who Caitlin will know as well. So daddy. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Can't wait to listen. There was a time when there were a lot of rom-coms coming out, and I feel like, because cinema now, the movies that are kind of viable in terms of them making back their budgets 
and a lot of that would be like licensing stuff out just tends to end up being like marvel stuff and that being the only kind of guaranteed almost like blank check that you can get on stuff and you know you're going to make your money back and so that feels like there's been like a death of those great mid-range movies so they're not indies but they probably cost you know 20 30 million to make and they don't it's just good they're a success if they get their money back and that's fine and it doesn't need to be like a huge thing um but thankfully i think the streamers have kind of picked up on that and oh, they're yeah. great. I saw a, a yeah. great one on Amazon the other day with Jenny Slate. Yes, I want you back. I watched that last week. It was great. That kind of thing. I guess that's the beauty of streaming services picking up. And also yeah. like shows like Starstruck, which is amazing if you haven't seen it, which is on ABC iView now, whereas Matafeo is amazing. And, you know, Love Life and Emily in Paris, all things that we wouldn't have had before. So it's kind of nice to have that extended thing. Thank you so much for joining us, Kimberly. It's been an absolute pleasure. And look, I'm sure that people listening are going to want to go and listen to Meet Cute now as well. I love an in-depth research about popular culture podcast. So we'll have all the links to that in the show notes. The book is out now. Thanks to HarperCollins for sending us copies as well. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I could talk absolute nonsense with you guys for longer uh, if I didn't have to watch it on my television. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We've got, other th- we've got other important things to do and shows to watch, but we already did talk for quite a long time. So thank you for giving us thank your time, you Emily. Thank you so much. Very busy. You're very busy too. I very much appreciate it. So I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to come back on at some point and we'll revisit some of the rom-coms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review. Bye.